as we prepare for the scripture, as, as again David comes to read, notice the two sides, kind of like what I just asked you. Notice the two sides in the midst of this scripture. See what overcomes the Hasatan. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we are walking in darkness, we lie and do not do what is true. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the entire world. Now by this we may be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. Whoever says, I have come to know him, but does not obey his commandments, is a liar. And in such a person, the truth does not exist. But whoever obeys his word, truly in this person, the love of God has reached perfection. By this, we may be sure that we are in him. Whoever says, I abide in him, ought to walk as he walked. Holy wisdom, holy word. Those who have viewed or reached or taken in the love of God. No, go ahead, David. It's okay. I just want this thought in your mind as they do the response. Has reached what? What was that P word? Hold on to that. Would somebody look up Genesis 3.1? Just look up Genesis 3.1 and just read it if, once you get it. It I, doesn't matter who it is, but we need this in the back of our minds as well. Um, Genesis 3.1. Uh, as, as somebody's looking this up, here's what I want to set up. Last week, those of you that were here, remember that what we did is a, a video reading, underlying music, kind of a beautiful kind of rendition of the story of creation. And over and over and over again, what we heard after almost every day was, and it was good. And at the very end of that creation story, they added one more word. And it was very good. Then comes Genesis 3, and it's not so good. 
So, good job, Zane. Perfect timing on that, little buddy. That was, eh, that was perfect. So, Dorothy, do you have it? Are you willing to stand up and read? Use your teacher voice. So, I look at this picture, and there's nothing in Scripture that ever says it was a snake. Somehow we've tried to create this, uh, and, and, and over time it's become a snake. It's not a snake. The word itself has nothing to do with snake. The word itself can be, if you go back to its origins, can be absolutely translated very easily into that word that I shared with you before. H-A-S-A-T-A-N. Hasatan. Hasatan. Hasatan has a very simple meaning. It means adversary. Period. But what we've done is we've created this whole kind of image around all of this. But here's a couple things. Let's go Bible study uh, for just a second. In the creation story, pretty, pretty safe bet that that whole creation story was written by Moses. Or at least that's, the, the, that's what most people understand, that that Genesis 1 piece of this was written by Moses. And the purpose of that was to create this overwhelming sense of awe of God, that God could do this and would do it in such a beautiful and orderly fashion where everything was perfect, everything was divine, everything was ordered. There was no chaos. And we are to be as a response in absolute awe of God. Are you in awe of God? You need to come to terms with that. Then comes Genesis 3, and you notice that the writing is completely different. Suddenly, the first sentence in Genesis 3 has to do with this thing. Guess who wrote that piece of Genesis? Pastors and lawyers. I kid you not. It was written by the priests and by basically the lawyers of the time to set up this incredible need for the law. Now, we need the law, believe me, and I'll come back to that in a few minutes. But these are two very different views of God, and two very different views of humanity. We move quickly from, and humans are good, and ultimately very good, to humans are flawed, and I, I, I know I shouldn't remind you of this, but who has the apple? I, I just have to say it one more time. And by the way, it was not an apple. I love that too. Uh, we who live in Washington don't want apple to be evil. Uh, it's too big a part of our economy. But, but the point is not who took it first, but what caused that person, that piece of humanity, to be tempted to take it. And it was the Hasatan, the adversary. And suddenly into this whole creation narrative, this whole creation story, comes this little three-letter word. Sin. And what caused it, according to this narrative, is something outside of ourselves, although that lives within ourselves, creates this in every single one of us. And why did Eve, in this story, take that piece of fruit and then offer it to her husband? Why did she do that? Bottom line is because she wanted to be like God. She was tempted and wanted to be like God, and that was the promise. And how often is it that those things that tempt us do one of two things? 
power on one side. I need more, want more, desire more power. On the other side is I'm not good enough. And I am tempted because I don't feel good enough to do things that either take me down that road to confirm that in fact I'm not good enough or help me to feel better about myself and sometimes even those things are inappropriate. What I want to do very quickly I want to look at four things. Now, we've already talked about the Old Testament. And the Old Testament view of sin, we see it over and over and over again, was based in some very simple things. And it was those two things. Either I'm, I want more power or I'm not good enough. And over and over and over in the Old Testament narratives, we see those two things playing out. And it's never good. It's never good. The ending, anytime you want the power of God, puts you in a place where you're going to fail, and anytime you don't feel good enough, it's going to create failure. Both things are identified as sin. And oh, by the way, what does sin mean? Congregation, archery term? Missing the mark, or even more accurately, here's the new one, missing the bullseye. That's what the word means. So why, over the last thousand years, almost now, has that word been created into something that is used over and over and over again like a club or baseball bat to whack you upside of the head and say to you, you are not worthy. Why have we done that? Why? Because it's so easy. And over and over and over again throughout Scripture, Scripture comes back and says there are responses to that view. So now let's jump to the New Testament. The early church, the New Testament, decided because the complexity of sin changed from, from what was up there before to, from Adam and Eve to now here is this group who are trying so hard to live their lives in a new Christian kind of way. But what are they surrounded with in society at this time? Rome. And if you live in the Roman Empire, you have access to everything your little heart or body could ever desire. And it is constant. From the violence in the Colosseum to the temple prostitutes in temple after temple after temple, you can, you can have anything. And by the way, you don't have to be rich. You can have anything. And so what is the response of the early church? They separate themselves from it. They live in community that is tightly knit and they share everything. And anyone who doesn't buy into that is soundly rejected or the sin even causes their death. It's phenomenal. Now let's jump ahead. This is all precursor. To John Wesley. John Wesley knew that sin was there, was very alive and very well, even in the 18th century. But for, for Wesley, sin began to transform, began to morph into other things. Sin, he thought, came in basically two, if not three, forms. One was inward sin, those things that caused damage to the soul. And we all, I think, know what many of those things are. And here's, let me be Wesleyan with you for a minute. When we don't practice the disciplines of faith, our soul doesn't become stagnant. Our soul becomes damaged. 
You are either moving toward Christ or you are moving away. Which are you, which direction are you moving today? Either toward, by taking actions, means of grace, all kinds of things, prayer, study, or you are not doing those things and your soul is never still. It doesn't grow stagnant. It deteriorates if we aren't moving toward those things. It's as Wesleyan as it gets. But there's another kind of sin, outward sin. Outward sin are those kinds of things that draw your attention. They are the hasatans of life that draw your attention away from God's perfection. We all have them, every single one of us. Those are the outward sin things. But I want to take it one more level. And I think Wesley would agree with this, given what he did. In first service, I had all manner of pictures up here of other kinds of sin. Those things that move beyond ourselves. Sins in the world. Hunger. Poverty. Pollution. Things that are causing damage to the planet. Those are outward sins. And they become even deeper outward sins when we do not take actions to respond to them. But it all goes full circle. Because that too damages our souls. So I have to ask you this morning. Is sin outdated? Is sin outdated? Have we moved beyond the need to understand that word? I wish there were another word. Because as I've said to you before, Aldersgate United Methodist Church is lumped together with every church, at least for those who do not attend church, that sees sin as something that you take a four by six and hit each other upside the head. That kind of abuse, that kind of power, that kind of just terrible thing. And yet what we offer here is, yes, we need to understand sin. Absolutely need to understand it. And understand that it is alive and well today. But we also have to understand that there are actions, actions that we can take to move beyond that. So here's what I'm asking of you today. Because we're going to spend a lot of time not just on sin. We're going to spend a whole lot more time on grace. But we have to begin here. I mentioned to you inward sin, outward sin, and even global sin. But I want to go now back full circle to that serpent. The Hasatan. Hasatan is a phenomenal word. And it's a word that, that we see in commercials all the time. Hasatan is that devil on your shoulder. Hasatan is anything that whispers into our ears to say, it's okay, it's not really hurting anyone. Or whispers in our ears, you know, you're right. You're not good enough. Or whispers in our ears, you know, you don't really need to take that action because you're just one person. Or whispers in our ears, you don't really need to pray. You don't really need to study. You don't really need to do any of those things because it really doesn't work. My question to you today is what are the Hasatans that are whispering in your ear today? I will tell you, 
Those of you, again, that have been in my class know that I absolutely feel this. There is a force beyond us of evil. Absolutely there is a force in the world of evil. I've seen it firsthand. I've seen its handiwork first time, firsthand. I've shared before, my first funeral in Sunnyside was a single shot bullet to the back of a head of a 15-year-old girl. And working in drug abuse and drug violence and gang intervention and those kinds of things, you can't help but believe there's a force greater than us. The problem is it's easy to look at that as something that's out there when that force is also working in here. What are the whispered voices of the Hasatan in your life? And I want you to take a few moments because until we look at that, until we're willing to explore that, this question doesn't make any sense. I almost handed out index cards today and decided if you wanted to do this, you can do it on your bulletin. That your assignment for this week, because I'm going to respond to this next week, is what are the whispered voices of the Hasatan in your life right now? What's it saying to you, O beloved child of God? Let me close with this thought. Wesley absolutely believed, and I agree with him, that it is possible to achieve perfection in this life. That it is possible to have that same sense that we as creations of God were created in the perfect image of our Creator. You want me to say that again? Every one of us was created in the perfect image of our Creator. Every single one of us. And it is possible to move back into that understanding and that self-understanding. But it means we have to, with God's help, and that is the only way that I know that we can do this, overcome the Hasatans that whisper in our ears every day. And the way to do that, the only way that I know of to do that, is to continually open ourselves, number one, to the grace of God, that power of God, that perfecting grace. Number two, to share those Hasatan struggles with someone else with whom we have a level of trust. And to allow them to become that force in me. Daniel Flahiff was sitting right where Hope is sitting right this morning. And as we, I just looked at him and I said, Daniel has been one of those forces for me. I would never have lost the weight that I have lost. I would never have gotten into the shape that I have gotten into. Would never have been able to overcome those whispering voices that I don't need to do this would never have been able to do that, I believe, without Daniel's help. And by the way, I congratulate him if you see him. He just, again, at almost 50 years old, just is now going to be uh, on the U.S. team for international triathletes. 
What I didn't share with you is Daniel lost, I think it's 69 pounds and made the decision that he was going to become that inner athlete. And he didn't do it alone either. That's one piece, friends. We all have things that we need to overcome. We do. But we can't do it alone. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to move through us. And we need the power of the friendships and this community. But if we stop there, we're still sinning. Because guess what? There's still hunger here in this community and in the world. There is still hopelessness here and in the community. But it's awful hard to respond to that when we ourselves are struggling deeply with hasatans in our lives. Again, I'm going to unwrap this a whole lot more over the weeks to come and really over the year. But we have to start here with sin first. Sin. Missing the bullseye. We can all hit the bullseye. But we have to have those elements in our life in order to do it. Will you pray with me? God, the question is there again this Sunday. How will we respond to this? How will we respond? It will be the question that no one's going to want to hear come April or May. But our faith is built on the answering of that question. It's virtually impossible to move us without identifying those whispering voices in our and around our lives. God, help us to open our hearts and our minds to that loving, graceful power that is you. Help us remember that there are forces beyond us that continue to seek to engage us, and there are forces within us that are our adversaries. Help us clearly understand those and move them aside and be filled again so that we can sense that perfecting power that is you. Fill us, Lord. Fill us. All this we ask in Christ's name. Amen.